Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Human beings are tribal. Even in the United States, where community has evaporated, we find a way to pick sides. Driven by primal instinct, we worship unflinchingly the twin gods of ideology and brand, allowing fear and greed to control our fate. The Apostle Peter is no different. He too wanted to pick a side. Peter's confession, rather, the teaching that God put into Peter to confess, rightly proclaimed Jesus as God's earthly representative and the King of all the nations. On the face of it, this seems like a great idea until Peter realizes that his side may be in opposition to Jesus' rule and that being the son of Abraham's God will not lead to the victory Peter desires. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. The Ephesus School Network is expanding. We now have four podcasts released each week. Our newest edition, Tewahedu Bible Study, is released on Mondays, followed by Tarazi Tuesdays, Teach Me Thy Statutes on Wednesday, and our flagship program, The Bible as Literature Podcast, on Thursdays. More programming is planned in the near future. Our goal is to help you meditate on the precepts of the Lord every day of the week. Please visit EphesusSchool.org to learn more and subscribe. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 324 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We continue in Matthew chapter 16. We've spoken at length until now about the tension between the kingdom of Caesar, a son of the gods, and the kingdom of Jesus, who in Matthew is frequently referred to as the son of of man, and only because the Father inscribed his teaching in Peter was Peter able to preach that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the Son of the God of Abraham. All throughout this section of Matthew, people have been able to see with their eyes, but they haven't been able to hear what Jesus is teaching. The disciples again and again have shown that they don't understand how bread functions. They think bread is about the thing you put in your mouth, not the thing you put in your ear, which is the words of Jesus. When Jesus fights with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're concerned about the signs that they see in the sky for the sake of their crops. Jesus had to quiz the disciples so that they could understand the difference between what a son of man is and what a son of God is. 
the disciples keep missing this point. They keep seeing with their eyes. And this is just so obvious nowadays. People can't understand what is going on in the world because they keep focusing on the news and what their friends are saying and what they hear from this source or that source. And it's precisely this that Jesus is speaking against. We're supposed to be hearing according to the gospel. People are complaining about the government because they want their rights. Who has the right to tell me I have to wear a mask? Who has the right to tell me that my church has to be closed? Jesus does not help people maintain their rights. Jesus is about following the gospel and offering to others and giving to others what is needful for them out of love. And this is what people don't understand because they have a worldly way of seeing. And now the test for Peter is clear. He has preached correctly because God put the words in his mouth in the same way that God in Ezekiel forced the prophet to eat the scrolls so that he could regurgitate it. Peter has been forced to eat the scroll so that it could be regurgitated. That doesn't mean that Peter will act correctly. He's been entrusted with this power to unburden people with the proclamation of the kingdom. But to what extent is Peter himself unburdened by that proclamation? From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus now is laying it on the line. He's confronting Peter with the implications of what Peter has already taught. The challenge of teaching Scripture is that you have to preach the words of Scripture knowing that you don't understand them, or you don't submit to them, or you don't grasp fully what's being demanded of you. You have to trust the words and work on hearing the words yourself. Peter has trusted to the extent that he has proclaimed what God put in him to proclaim. But now comes the difficult part of coming to terms with what you already placed your trust in. Jesus is now going to the next level. It's not just that he's a son of God, because when you think son of God, you're thinking of Caesar, you're thinking of king, you think of somebody who's going to rule this earthly kingdom in the way of earthly kings. He immediately shows the disciples that he goes to Jerusalem not to take over, not to sit on the throne, not to make decrees to Caesar from Jerusalem, but to suffer things, not at the hands of the Gentiles, but the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. He's not even going to rule over the Jews. He's going to Jerusalem to be handed over to the hands of the Jews. So, not only is he not going to take over the Roman Empire, he's not even going to take over Jerusalem. He's not even going to take over the temple. He's going to be defeated by every power, Jew and Gentile. This is what it means to be a son of God. This is the next level of test that the disciples must undergo. The word elder, presviteros, is a word that we associate with the clergy in Christian usage. It's the elders in the community the pastors, the shepherds who betray Jesus, it's the chief priests, the archierefs, the people that are responsible for administering the cultic worship of the community, 
which is supposed to be a context for instruction, these religious leaders and teachers are going to oversee the brutal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's the scribes, the ramatefs. You can hear in the root of the word scribe, the word grammar, those who are responsible for the education and the faithful transmission of the biblical scroll from generation to generation. These are the ones who are going to work against the Messiah. In the classical world, there was no separation between the power of the temple and the power of the palace, and those who should be subject to the authority of God's instruction crave the authority of Caesar's throne. They want Caesar out so that they can rule, not so that God's teaching can rule. And the proof is that they will not only murder Jesus, but lock him in a tomb so that the scroll can't get out to establish its authority upon the earth. Peter now is already confronted with the test of betrayal because it's easy for him to see the tension between Jesus and Caesar, but it's going to be much more difficult for him to understand and to come to terms with the tension between Jesus and the temple. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter absolutely is showing his cards. He thinks that the showdown between the Messiah and Caesar is to be played out in a showdown between the temple and Caesar. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders are interested in the same thing that Caesar is interested in. Jesus is the one who is looking in a different direction. So it's not just that Peter is saying, I don't want you to die. It's that Peter doesn't want Jesus to fight with Peter's side of the conflict. When we're talking about war and conflict, there are competing interests. Jesus is a third party to the confrontation between the temple and Caesar, between Jerusalem and Rome. He's a third party that takes neither side. He's interested in something different. His confrontation is with both of them. We know from Paul's letters that Peter's stumbling, the scandal of Peter, is connected to his sycophancy towards the leaders in Jerusalem. In Galatians, the trap he falls into is the showing of the flesh. Here he's scandalized by the suffering that Jesus would have under both the Jews and the Gentiles, and that Jesus is not going to defeat either Jew or Gentile. I mean, how confusing must it be if Peter has any kind of understanding of a son of God like the Romans would, that you could have a son of God who was completely powerless, completely defenseless, and mishandled and mistreated by the leaders of the Jews and the leaders of the Gentiles who didn't stand a chance against them. I mean, that's not the horse you want to put your money on <laughs> if you're trying to win this fight. But I think that the winning that Peter believes is not the winning that Jesus believes because, you know, why wouldn't he want the rising again on the third day? Peter's not interested in the rising again on the third day. He is concerned about the suffering and the mistreatment. First of all, he has to grapple with the reality of verse 21. Jesus has to die. It is the will 
of God the Father, the same will that put the scroll in Peter's mouth just a few verses ago. But he also has to accept the implication of the discussion of Son of Man, Son of God, versus the sons of the gods. Because if he doesn't accept the scriptural definition of the Messiah, he's going to fall into the trap of imagining that Jesus is fighting for Israel and Judah. The funny thing is, Jesus is fighting for Israel and Judah, but also for Rome. And this word in Greek, ileos, only occurs twice. It's translated here as God forbid. In Hebrews, it's translated as mercy or merciful, because Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah chapter 31. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is how Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, because God wrote the inscription on his heart and forced him to speak it. Will he follow him all the way to that kingdom which, to humanize, is terminated on Golgotha? Will he accept, verse 21, that this new city that God wants to build in Jeremiah is founded on the defeat of God's king in human terms? He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And, of course, our listeners are waiting to hear this word, Richard. Peter's value, you guessed it, everyone, is functional. One minute he can function as a prophet who swallows the scroll and regurgitates the teaching. The next minute he can function as a roadblock to the gospel who tries to block Jesus. It's not personal. It's all a question of how you function. Exactly, and the only thing that differed between his previous function and his present function is his words. In his previous function, he spoke precisely those things that were revealed to him by Jesus' Father, and now he is speaking those things that were revealed to him by Satan, by the adversary, the one who speaks against the teaching, the one who is the cross-examiner, the one who is the prosecuting attorney who is trying to cause people to fall, who's trying to bring their sins before God's face. Peter's faith in Jesus as Son of God for understanding his teaching in spite of what he was learning and hearing from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He had the leaven of Jesus in him, but he betrayed it. This word stumbling block, in Greek it's a skandalon, it's a scandal. Peter is the scandal. Previously, his words were the bedrock on which the church would be built, and now he is the stumbling block that keeps people from walking on the path. This scandalon, this scandal, is the product of Peter's turn because of his change, because of his change in function, because of this word that he is now teaching that betrays what the Son of God means. This week in our tradition is Holy Week, and many 
are agonizing over the fact that they can't go to the temple to pray. My challenge to all of you, going beyond the obvious admonition that we should be obedient to our elders, if the bishop says no church, there's nothing to talk about and there should be no defiance. But beyond that, we have to be scriptural, not just in our obedience to our elders, but to the admonition against placing your trust in the temple. In the Gospel of Matthew, it is very clear that the best way to pray is at home with the door shut. So this is an opportunity, a keros, to show your piety during Holy Week in private. And the reality of Holy Week is in the text. So if you want to enter into the reality of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, his crucifixion and his resurrection, you can do it at home by simply immersing yourself in the story that is his instruction for us. That is the best way to keep Holy Week this year. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.